This podcast is sponsored by GCOR 15, RMA's Governance, Compliance, and Operational Risk Virtual Conference, June 7th to 10th. The conference will provide valuable content and peer sharing in today's complex environment with a stacked lineup of industry experts covering topics including culture, PPP litigation, climate risk, DEI, AI and machine learning, re-entry in the wake of the pandemic, and much more. For more information and to register, visit www.rmahq.org backslash G-C-O-R. Hi, I'm Stephen Krasowski, Communications Manager at RMA. Today, I'm joined by David Bilko, Chief Risk Officer at Atlantic Union Bank, to discuss how the pandemic has impacted his institution this past year. So, David, what are some lessons learned during this unprecedented time where traditional metrics, KRIs, KPIs, did not reflect the reality of your situation? Yes, you know, I, Steve, I think that, um, you know, I think one of the big lessons that comes out of this, at least for, for us at Atlantic Union, is that things, the velocity of what was happening um, just required us to be much more agile, much more nimble in our approach to how we assess you know, current risk um, situations or current the current risks in front of us, almost really almost on a day-to-day basis. Because, you know, as, as things broke, even though we had a pandemic plan and a um, and and somewhat of a, a warning, if you will, at least some advanced knowledge of what could happen. And we had even been tracking um, COVID as an emerging risk for a couple of months. Uh, I distinctly remember my, my operational risk uh, director coming to our board risk committee meeting in um, February, early February, and 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 speaking to our risk committee about you know all of the potential issues that this virus could, I guess I'll use the word unleash upon the world, but we were thinking more, you know, kind of um, locally in in our world at that time. And, you know, it was funny because when we look back on it, we, we found that, you know, a a lot of what we, we were considering at the time as potential or emerging risk elements actually did come to pass. And I think, you know, early part of 2020, people were aware of it. Various industries, including banking, were aware of it, may have even done some emerging risk assessments like we did. But I don't think anybody from a practical standpoint, or many people from a practical standpoint, really thought it would have this big of a impact on, you know, the day-to-day functioning of 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 our our lives and livelihoods, but it required flexibility. And and we, you know, what we did is we 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 immediately started an incident command team meeting that we had every morning. I mean, we had a Zoom call every morning for you know three months after the initial declaration of the pandemic, if you will in mid-March of last year. And we started to build around what we were seeing um, metrics uh, that were 
um, either either KRIs or KPIs, depending on how you looked at it, based on like it said, like I said in the question, the reality of what we were of what we were experiencing, and and a lot of that was, um, I would say, one of the first things was was we you know we had to close our branches um, as we got into the uh, pandemic plan and, and the situation on the ground changed. We had to close our branches. We kept our our drive throughs open, but what that caused, and you know, this is kind of an example, is you know our call volumes in our call center skyrocketed, obviously because customers weren't able to come into the branches, so they were calling for, I'll call it service related, you know, matters, and so you know we built um, dashboards around call volumes types of calls we were getting. Um, we used a lot of that information to staff, further staff our call centers and direct calls to within those call centers to various subject matter experts in those areas, whether it was somebody calling about wires or ACHs or deposits or, um, something to do with digital or online banking, you know, various. So we were tracking those types of those metrics um, in a way that allowed us to react. And so when we closed the branches, obviously that left a lot of um, teammates and our, our branch teammates available to be reallocated. So we reallocated that that workforce, if you will, into the call centers. Really wasn't a call center, people were at home, but they were you know, working through their laptops and taking customer calls being routed to them. And so from a risk perspective, um, you know, that if you think about it, that's an operational risk matter, right? So, you know, we reacted nimbly and we were measuring, um, not just volumes and velocity around uh, what was happening in, in terms of calls, but also what was happening within our various business lines in terms of customer activity. And I'll, and I'll give you another example of that in a minute. Um, but you know, we were mitigating operational risk and we were measuring operational risk through the tracking of all this. And we were rolling that up into what we would report at the operational, the enterprise operational risk level, right? Then I guess another example might be credit, um, credit risk, where um, we knew, you know, once once things started to break, that you know we needed to reach out to our customers in the commercial side with loans. Um, and make sure that they knew we were there for them, right? And that if they needed a modification, a deferral, an extension, whatever it was, that there was a process in place. And, you know, obviously certain clients did need that. And we, um, we talked to all of them. We, our commercial people went and talked to just about every client we had. And as, as that process got underway, 
we were able to put in a, a, a key risk type of metric that would allow us to understand each customer situation and and if they're if they're depending on what what their need was and when that uh, mod modification or deferral expired, would they be migrating into another risk category, risk rating for their loan? Um, and how would their past due status change? So what it boiled down to more or less to simplify it was we were we were just implementing a very deep form of migration analysis in our credit portfolios. Um, because we had to, because because it because the situation called for it, and we had to be agile and nimble about it. So those those were muscles that were being exercised a lot more because of the situation. Um, I would say that our traditional metrics in the first example, where I talked about the the, the sort of the retail side of the house and the transactional side of the house. Those were new. Um, I mean, we, we, we might have done some of them, but not to the extent. The credit metrics weren't as new, but they were built upon um, on a foundation that allowed us to do more um, thoughtful and granular measurement to, um, to understand the reality of the situation. So, David, uh, did you need to create new KRIs during the crisis, and are those still in place? Yeah, we we did. As, as I mentioned, we created some new K KRIs and even KPIs. Um, some of them are in place. Some some of them um, uh, some of the measuring tools that we've used to manage or uh, monitor, I guess I would say, operational risk across the enterprise are in place. Um, some of the KPIs that I talked about within the um, traditional banking space, transactional orientation are still there. Um, a lot of what we were doing on the credit side um, are, are, are not um, in place today because our experience today is that um, our, our credit risk trends are very stable and have been stable for several months now. Um, and we, you know, we stopped doing the deeper dives that we were doing with um, some of the credit risk metrics, KRIs, because our, um, our, our situation is much more, um, much more known. I guess um, we don't really have, um, to, to any great degree, any any uh, like all the modifications and deferrals and extensions in our commercial portfolio and even our consumer have effectively expired, and um, we don't have a, a you know a wave of additional requests. So some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, you know, one thing we did. Uh, that is still in place. When we when we went into the crisis, our loan review teams, who report up through enterprise risk management, to me, kind of refocused their their risk based model a bit, um, based upon um, what what some of what we were seeing in the credit portfolios, and they 
they focus more on those areas of, of sectors or risks like hospitality and restaurants and some of those areas um, when they did their loan review work, which allowed it, them to be more flexible. And so that model around a more much more risk-based approach is still in place because we're relying on loan review now to, as they go to target areas of higher risk and even look at them um, more than, uh, more frequently, I guess I would say, to uh, confirm or affirm our, what we're seeing and, and that the risk ratings on those credits are in fact um, sound and solid. So that's still in place. Um, I think we put some stress testing in place with, with uh, additional stress testing, I should say, after the pandemic hit in the credit portfolios, uh, particularly commercial real estate, where um, we, you know, we might we might do some of that stress testing on a, a maybe twice a year. Um, now we're doing a little bit more targeted approach, and we're doing some of it quarterly, perhaps. Um, so, so you know, we do we did create new KRIs, we did create new risk assessment processes during the crisis. Some of them have been. Um, modified, some of them have been um, discontinued and others still go on, um, which I think is a, a reflection of, of the reality right now. Tripping KRI metrics is rarely acceptable. How did you guys work with your board and management to manage that process? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So um, we didn't really, to be, to be fair, we didn't really trip any KRIs of, of significance um, during the during this last say year um, that required us to alter, let's just say, or um, or expand or enhance our ability to uh, mitigate that particular risk. Um, I think what we did do though is um, we have a pretty a pretty um, focused risk committee, board risk committee on risk appetite. And so if, if anything took us what we, what we tend to call out of risk appetite, um, so we, you know, we're staying between the, the, the lines and risk appetite, if anything kind of veered over uh, uh, outside the lines, our risk committee is pretty focused on you know, um, challenging us as to how we're gonna get back inside the line, so to speak. Um, we didn't really have that happen during the crisis or during the, the pandemic. But what did happen is, as we evaluated and assessed our risk levels through metrics, our risk trends, our risk trends tended to change. Um, there were our operational risks, sort of as I referenced earlier from the beginning of the pandemic, the risk trend moved from what we would have referred to as stable to increasing, but our overall, we never went outside our risk appetite. We just, our risk trend increased and we monitored that pretty closely month over month. And um, if anything did go um, outside or our, our residual risk levels, for instance, 
in, in, in credit or, or any, any of other risk categories, whether it's um, operational or technology or, um, or market risk, we would have, we would have been um, in effect required to take steps and develop action plans on how to get them back in risk appetite or, or perhaps as rare as it might be, we may, we may have had to reassess our risk appetite to determine whether or not we needed to or wanted to accept a certain amount of risk temporarily. Um, so, um, but I would say that um, we were very communicative with all of our uh, management level committees, um, particularly in the credit side, credit risk side and uh, our board risk committee and our board, we, we definitely ramped up or increased the frequency and, uh, and amount of our reporting um, so that it was uh, timely, right? Because as I said before, the velocity of change that was happening and the reaction to it was such that that communication needed to be, to be more frequent. So David, how can you devise meaningful metrics when you when you don't know what could be coming next? I think that what what we try to do is we have a very concerted approach to uh, identifying and tracking what I would call tracking emerging risks. So we on a on an ongoing basis, um, in, in effect, it's it's every quarter. We have a group that gets together or meets, and we have a sort of an ongoing um, listing, let's call it, of emerging risks. Um, they could be external. They could be um, they could be you know economic. They could be you know um, climate related. They could be whatever. But they're they're all emerging risks, and there's a lot of um, thought leadership around emerging risks that's out there that we that we you know pull in, including RMA um, content to, to have these conversations. And so I think I think you have to um, if you're in a you know a, really in any bank in, or any industry participant in, in, in finance and banking or any industry to really manage risk well, you have to have a view and an eye, a sight, line of sight into emerging risk. And we've we've just we've just developed a ongoing and recurring process to do that. That we factor into our quarterly risk reporting to the board board risk committee, um, and it's part of every board risk committee meeting we have. We do a summary synop and synopsis of where we believe we are with emerging risks. Now, having said all that, you know, if we believe that emerging risks are starting to become more or get more real, to use a term, we would, we would start to think about um, what metrics we could devise should that happen. Um, they're all, I mean, these emerging risks are all a bit different. But I think until we actually start to see some crystallization of them, you know, it's hard to really um, firm up those metrics. Not impossible, 
certainly something that we do or like to, like to think we do as those emerging risks maybe start to you know develop into something more um, more practical and, and real. Um, it's not lost on us that you know we need to be ready, and that's why we're so intent on looking at the emerging risk um, environment. So David, does it make sense for you to change your metrics on a permanent basis now that we've experienced a life altering event or should you rely on past proven metrics to move forward? I think we wouldn't be doing ourselves any favors if we just didn't change anything. I mean, I think we have to be mindful and conscious of the world around us and the velocity of change. And, you know, I think risk management is really in many ways, change management, you know, change is risk um, or change equals risk. So we're very focused on making sure that we're not getting um, ossified in our thoughts around our risk um, tolerances, our metrics, our KRIs, KPIs, because they, they, things change over time. And so we're, we're very um, focused on um, how we can mature our processes and how we can mature our KRIs and metrics as the environment we, we manage in and we live in changes. Um, it shouldn't really have any, in my mind, it shouldn't really have anything to do with a life altering event. It should be part of your integrated risk management framework that you're looking at your metrics on a consistent and ongoing basis, um, what they're telling you and what the organization is experiencing um, both internally, culturally, economically, and even from all external factors that should be part and parcel of your thought process around your metrics. So, I mean, I think I would say over the last year, you know, we certainly added things. We've certain, some of them we stopped, like I said earlier, because they aren't relevant anymore. And that's an example of how it changes. It just, you know, the velocity of change is just like a roller coaster ride. You're going to go through ups and downs, but you just got to be ready. So what areas of risk still exist within your institution? I think there's less credit risk now, it, at least in our organization, than we, we certainly thought there would be a year ago. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of the, um, the government backing and the stimulus um, efforts the um, programs that the Fed has put into place to back to backstop um, the private sector in particular has really helped to um, mitigate some of the credit deterioration that uh, we thought was on the horizon. And so I think that um, there's certainly we're watching it closely and we're you know very laser focused on our, our 
our our loan portfolios, but we just haven't seen um, it, as much risk and as we thought we would, and it's fairly stable at this point, at least for us. Now, what I would say too is that if you want to kind of something that you can um, use as a barometer of that is look at Cecil, right? When I mean, conveniently enough for the banking industry, Cecil took effect right at the same time as the pandemic hit. And our forecasts around credit were, you know, um, the sky is going to fall. The sky is falling. Um, we got to, you know, under Cecil, you know, those forecasts, those economic forecasts are big drivers. And so you have to kind of, um, we had to up our reserves significantly based upon that. Well, now as things have improved and really been become stable, you're seeing that progression down. Uh, people are, banks are starting to release reserves that they had built through the Cecil process, which is how it's supposed to work. Um, I think though that I think there are some areas where, um, you know, uh, there are still risks. Uh, I, I think that um, I think there's cultural risk. I mean, I think that 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 we've had you know a long time with this um, with this work from home environment ecosystem. And I think that it's so different than from what from what you know the large the lion's share of segment of, of at least in our industry are used to. Um, I think it's I think I think one of the things that we talk about and have talked about is just are we losing our culture? You know, the risk of that that personal interaction that was so much a part of your culture is now is now you know being affected in Zoom or WebEx or Teams or some other technology meeting environment. And culturally, that's something I think we need to keep our eyes on. Um, so I think there's some of that in, in there. There's, I think there's work-life balance, um, human capital risk as well, just because of what I just talked about with the, the environment we're living in or working in right now. And it just, it has continued for so long that I think people are wondering, um, you know, what is the new normal and when is it gonna, and how's it gonna impact me and my, my, not only my work, but my life, my home life. And then I think the other human capital type risk that I think, in our risk portfolios that we maybe sometimes lose sight of is, you know, one of the things that this environment has brought us is that if you're not, if you're working remotely, if the job doesn't require you to be in a specific location, it, you're able to cast a wider net for talent. And that means that, you know, there's a risk of attrition. You're a risk of losing talented people because if, if somebody in one part of the country is willing to pay X more than you're paying somebody and they don't have to relocate, they can work from wherever they are. 
you know, that's a interesting dynamic that I think everyone's trying to deal with right now. And so the, 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 the search and, you know, for talented people allows you to cast a wider net, but it also, it also means that there's a large, you know, there's a bit of a larger supply to meet the demand because of the, the nature of the workplace. So that's another, I think another risk um, that we've been monitoring in our portfolios. Um, I would say operationally though, um, for the most part, technology wise and otherwise, um, a lot of those risks that we expected and were, and were managing to um, have sort of stabilized in, in our portfolios. And I think what we're seeing now is we're looking at some of the more intangible risks that we don't always talk about as much like culture and human capital and that sort of thing. Thank you, David. 